evidence and answers. Should transgender males who identify as females be allowed unrestricted access to female-only facilities, such as restrooms, locker rooms, and female shelters? Should transgender males be allowed to compete as women? The Equality Act introduced by the president seeks to establish these rights and more for transgender individuals. However, the issue is deeper. The Equality Act is an assault against women, medical health, truth, and the image of God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat continues in discussing the problems with the Equality Act and how it reflects the moral and spiritual state of our nation. Truth is what corresponds to the reality. Even if we don't like what we see, we accept it and we conform to it. Reality is, I don't got wings. Reality is, I can't fly. Do I hate that? You bet I hate that. Because when I'm late to meetings, I just fly to my meeting. I got to accept the reality, I can't fly. All right, I'm going to have to buy a five, $600 ticket to get to wherever I am going. All right, that's the reality of it. I accept it, I conform to it. Truth is not in here. Truth is out here. We discover it and we conform to it whether we like it or not. What transgenderism is teaching our children is that truth is not out here, it's in here. We create it. This is modern philosophy. This is where modern philosophy has gone wrong. This is where modern or continental philosophy that you're all learning now goes wrong. That's why a lot of your young people, when they come out of introduction to philosophy, they, that's where they get all messed up and start thinking weird. Because now we're learning what? Truth is created in the mind. And the world conforms to the truth I've created in my mind. The world conforms to that. I don't discover it, I invent it. And the world conforms to the ideas or whatever I perceive or feel, okay? And that's true. And that's what transgenderism teaches. Truth is not what corresponds to reality. Truth is what I feel. And the world conforms to what I feel or what I think. And when you have that definition of truth, there's no way to determine truth from error. What happens when two people perceive something differently? Who's right or who's wrong? How do you determine that? We're both right because truth is created. It's in here. How dare you say I am wrong, right? And when you have a society that defines truth like that, a society just breaks down into complete chaos. And encouraging wrong thinking and feeling only increases the problem. When you have someone suffering from gender dysphoria, then they need treatment for mental illness, not a change in body parts. I was speaking to a woman at a camp who completely disagreed with what I said. And she said, my daughter is non-binary. She is non-binary. And what should I do about this? And I said, well, you're going to have to teach your daughter the definition of truth. And she needs to accept what is true, not embrace what is false and say the world conforms to what I think it is. And she said, she's not male or female, she's non-binary. And I said, okay, when you look in the mirror, what is she? Okay, without her clothes on, what is she? Male or female? She goes, she's non-binary, non-binary. I can, non okay, I said, well, obviously you're calling her she. So you look in the mirror, she's got female parts. Okay, and she came out, non-binary, non-binary. And I said, okay, I'm gonna keep going. Meanwhile, she's screaming and yelling, non-binary, non-binary. And I said, too bad. All right, here we go. I said, you look in the mirror, she's got female parts. And you say, reality is you're a woman. Now." You're not comfortable in being a woman. Let's get you to be as comfortable as you can accepting your womanhood. 
Instead of saying, oh, you want to be a man? That's the reality in your mind? That's what you feel? Let's change the reality so it matches what you feel. Very dangerous lesson you're teaching your young people. It's a perversion of truth. We'd be a society in absolute chaos if everyone actually truly embraced this definition of truth. But this is what we're doing in this whole transgender issue. Fourth, the Equality Act, or H.R. 5, it's an assault on our freedom. It goes against our existing civil rights and constitutional freedom because it forces everyone to agree with a controversial government-imposed ideology on sexuality. And if you oppose it, you will be penalized in some form. Adding gender or sexual orientation to things like Title VI means that any school or private institution, private schools that receive federal assistance are going to have to adopt these gender policies or you'll not be receiving government aid. Section 2A of the H.R. 5 bill that was passed by Congress refers to the belief that marriage between a man and woman is a sexual stereotype, right? It's a sexual stereotype. That's what it is now. It is a cultural construct. That's all it is. In the Bible, it's an institution not created by God, but by man, the foundation of every culture. No society has ever survived that has redefined or dismantled the, the definition of marriage because you go against God's very planned and ordained and created institution of marriage. So same-sex marriage is an assault on God's institution, transgenderism is an assault on the very image of God. And those who would disagree with transgender ideology are labeled as racists, right? Hate-mongering kind of people, right? You should read the emails that I get, okay? And churches now who will start speaking out on this issue in disagreement, should this kind of bill pass and become a civil right? then. You're in danger of being sued for what's called hate speech. All right, You can come under serious lawsuits for things like that. High school counselors, elementary school, junior high counselors, then you'll not be able to counsel those struggling with gender dysphoria. You have to agree and move them in that process. You cannot say, wait a minute, let's stop and think about this. Obviously, you're a man. Obviously, you're a woman. Let's get you comfortable with your biological design. Or can we? Re you can't say that anymore. That's hate speech. All right. You're going to have to agree and say, "All right, is that what you?" Let's start the gender transition process here. We can already see this going on in the news around us. Mr. Potato Head, right, has been banned and now is being rebranded by Hasbro. You can no longer say Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head. All right, it's being rebranded to, um, I don't know, Potato Head or something. But it's being rebranded by Hasbro to have a gender-neutral name. The book, the one that I've been referring to quite a bit, When Harry Became Sally. This is a fine book done with scientific and medical research here. It's banned now from Amazon. You cannot find a copy of it on Amazon. Fortunately, I got it years ago, so... I've got a copy on my Kindle, and this is a best-selling book. This is a bestseller, 
right, for the last two years. You cannot find it on Amazon. It has been banned. So you see it's an assault on our freedom and freedom of speech now. Finally, the Equality Act is an assault on personal health. How do doctors diagnose a patient who identifies as the opposite sex? If I come in and biologically I'm male, but I say I am female, I insist you diagnose me as a female. You know our body chemistry, our physical design, the prescriptions that we are, are completely different. But how do I diagnose you now? What prescriptions does the pharmacist write if I insist I am the opposite sex, that my gender is not what my biology states? All right, female and male prescriptions are completely different. Okay, we know that. Right. You know, we see it all the time when women take the wrong prescription that was supposed to be for a man. It's a complete disaster. Doctors, it's an assault on, on the profession. The medical field is designed to cure a patient and help them get better. Instead, it's more like cosmetics now. It's doing what the patient wants. I give the patient what they want now instead of me trying to cure the patient and help them get better. And we see already that transgender individuals have already sued hospitals for discrimination in New Jersey and California because hospitals refuse to perform surgeries including mastectomies and gender transformation procedure. Now, Dr. Paul McHugh, probably the top psychiatrist in our nation from John Hopkins University, did an extensive research and he showed that there's no evidence that shows transitioning provides any lasting mental benefits. In fact, patients who undergo a sex change end up with damage to their physical health, such as heart problems, decreased bone density, as well as a loss of fertility. All right. I mean, injecting a guy with tons of estrogen, trying to change his very body chemistry is very, it's a very harmful thing to do. Those in the medical field can explain that in greater detail. In fact, we're learning transitioning treatment has not been shown to reduce the extraordinary high rate of suicide attempts among people who identify as transgender. It's 41% in that community compared to just 4% in the general population. In fact, they are 19 times, okay, those who have had the surgery are 19 times more likely to die by suicide even after the surgery. Now, Paul McHugh, the top psychiatrist in our country, okay, the leading guy from John Hopkins University, one of the lone voices who has been speaking on this for the last two decades, just a lone voice out there, did an extensive study to follow up with adults who had undergone sex change operations to determine whether the surgery was beneficial in the long term. And after his extensive research, he concluded that the results show most did not appear to have benefited psychologically. They had much the same problems with relationships, work, and emotions as before. The hope that they would emerge now from their emotional difficulties to flourish psychologically had not been fulfilled. And he writes, while the surgery may have provided some subjective satisfaction, McHugh decided that sex change surgery was bad medicine and was fundamentally cooperating with a mental illness. All right, now that may hurt, okay, those who are struggling with this, but that's the facts, okay? And sometimes truth hurts. But that's the most loving thing to say. 
to state the truth instead of allowing someone to believe and go down the path of what is false. Psychiatrists, in the end, he, he thought, could better help patients with gender dysphoria by trying to fix their minds and not their genitalia. And he discovered that the vast majority, 84% of women and 95% of men, it works out if you just wait it out. Most of the gender dysphoria struggles occur in the teen years, all right? When the hormones really start to fire, you've got all kinds of cultural and peer pressure in the high school. That's probably when peer pressure is the highest. And you've been bombarded by these images, false images and messages from the media. That's when young people really struggle with gender dysphoria or their gender identity. And if given the right instruction, the right mentoring, okay, the right kind of advice, the vast, vast majority of the time, they work it out, okay? It just works out, right? Because that's very image of God and how we are designed. Dr. McHugh, in the end, concluded, he said, we've wasted scientific and technical resources and damaged our professional credibility by collaborating with madness rather than trying to study, cure, and ultimately prevent it. Now, truth will sometimes hurt in the short term, but it does not compare to the long-term blessings that come as a result, right? My dad was a dentist, and I kind of understand why he always came home mad every day, because no one likes to go see the dentist. You're one of the most hated uh, guys out there among children. Right? How many of your children, when you say, we got to go to the dentist, they go, yay, the dentist, my favorite person. No, all right, no one likes to go to the dentist. All right, but he was a dentist, and I didn't grow up with straight teeth. I grew up with really crooked teeth, okay? And I remember growing up, I had braces for seven years, all right? I had braces for seven years, and I had over 10 tooth extractions, all right, where they had to pull out 10 of my permanent teeth, if you count wisdom teeth and all of that. And every time I remember going to see my dad and he putting on the floor and, and he take the x-ray and he go, all right, we got to pull out two more teeth. Man, I get so mad and I complained all the way home. And, you know, they just sat there and said, hey, this is for the best. Okay. And I complained and complained and complained. I said, I don't care. You know, look at this movie star. They got crooked teeth. You know, look at that singer. Here, I'll live with it. And they're like, no, nope, we're going to pull it out. And then they put braces on. And those of you who had braces know it hurts. And I had to go in every three, four weeks to tighten those braces. And you just go home and you, and you just cry and you can't, everyone's eating steak and yakiniku and you gotta eat chicken soup because it hurts so much for the next three days. You know, I remember I'd go to bed, I couldn't sleep, I'm crying. And I remember my dad was cold hearted, you know, man up, go to bed. You know, but my mom was more, you know, she'd see me crying and I, you could see the concern. It must've been painful for her to watch me go through that for seven years, every day, looking at her saying, do I have to go to the orthodontist? Do we have to do this again? And crying all the way there, saying, no, no, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna go. And her just having to be quiet and drive me there and watch me go behind the doors, still looking at her going, no, I don't wanna go. You know, why do I go through this torture? But the seven years of pain have given me decades now of joy, hey, because now I got straight teeth. And I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't gotten married had I not had straight teeth. Because <laughs> my wife told me, she said, that's one of the first things she noticed, that I had straight teeth. So truth sometimes hurts in the short term, 
but if we stick, that's the most loving thing to do sometimes because it's going to bring long-term gain in the end. Now, how do we address this issue then? How do we engage this issue as a church, as believers in Christ? Well, number one, we need to get back to the right understanding of what equality is. In the Bible, it talks about equality, but equality does not mean that we're identical. Equal doesn't mean men and women are identical. In fact, equal doesn't mean I'm exactly the same as you, all right? I mean, I'm looking in this audience here, and I'm seeing that many of you are real different from me, and that's great. I am awful when it comes to carpentry and working on cars, okay? I mean, I can change the oil and, and do simple stuff, but you ask me to, to do more complex stuff, it's a disaster, because I'm not a patient guy. I'm not a detailed guy. I'm the kind of guy, you go in there, you get it done, and that's it, okay? It requires a certain patience and a certain skill. So I'm glad we got guys like, like Dan and Ivan here and others good in those areas. That's way different from that. That's great. Equality doesn't mean identity. Equal doesn't mean identical. We got different skills. Equal doesn't mean everybody gets paid exactly the same. That's just the reality of how free market works, even in the Bible, because some skills are in more demand for the times we're in than others. Some people have more of a drive, but, okay, justice, fairness means we all have the equal opportunity as our Constitution Declaration of Independent States, God-given to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it doesn't mean we're all identical. We all, therefore, should dress the same. Some people look better in blue. Some people look better in pink, all right? Equality doesn't mean identity. God created men and women different to fulfill different roles so that together we can fulfill his mandate. Right? Now, I've been thrown out a lot of churches for saying that, but that's the reality of how God created us. We should be celebrating our differences, not condemning them. So we need to get back to the right definition of equality. Second, we need to get back to our foundation. All right, we need to get back to God and the moral law of God. Without God, there's no anchor of truth. There's no foundation for truth. If truth is rooted in God, you've got an immovable, eternal, objective, absolute foundation for truth. If God does not exist, what is the source of truth? It's in man. Man is not all-knowing. Man is not eternal. Truth, you're going to end up in a relative definition of truth, no foundation for truth, then you're going to have no foundation for an absolute right or wrong. This is what our founding fathers warned us about. In order to have a free and prosperous society, your foundations are morality and religion. And when they said religion, they meant the Christian faith. You remove God, you've got no foundation for truth, no basis for morality. That's what Washington, in his farewell address, warned us about. He said, of all the disposition and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And you cannot have a free and prosperous country without religion, Christian faith, and morality upon which it is based. John Adams said the same thing. We have no government armed with 
power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through our net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And this is where the churches have got to be equipped to defend truth, which too few are able to do. You've got to be able not only to defend truth, but the existence of God. And the evidence is on our side. It's unfortunate so many Christians and churches are unable to make that defense. If there is a God, then there's truth and a moral law of God, which is our compass that guides our country and society. Third, you've got to be able to defend the image of God. If there is a God, we're creating the image of God. Male and female are part of the image of God that he created, that he said is good. And it's necessary to fulfill God's mandate for why he created us. It's something to be celebrated, not condemned. Fourth, Christians and churches have got to be able to defend the definition of truth and the truth that they proclaim in an increasingly hostile arena that's lost its way and its moral compass. If the church cannot proclaim that message and defend that message powerfully, where does the society go to then for that moral and truth compass? Where in the world are they going to go? And finally, churches must minister to those struggling in this arena. Gender dysphoria is real. It's painful. It's difficult. And it's Instead of just speaking out against it, we've got to be able to come alongside those families and willing to walk beside them as they go through this struggle together. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got to get trained here in dealing with gender dysphoria or whatever. Most of us don't have that kind of training. However, we can walk alongside those who are hurting in this area. Not only gender dysphoria, but all kinds of arenas, right? In times of my greatest need. Counselors are great, but you see them once a month, once a week, or an hour. They tell you what to do, and then that's it. But the greatest benefit I got, the greatest ministry that helped me recover from my greatest struggles in depression and all these other issues that I struggled with, is when men came alongside me and said, let's meet every Tuesday. And we would meet, and we wouldn't have extensive Bible study. That's not what I needed. But it's there where I could sit and talk to someone one or two people and share my heart. They would share their heart with me and we'd walk through our pain together. We would walk together through that dark tunnel until we came out into the light. And that's been some of the best ministry to me over any professional counseling that I have had. And those guys, I still, they still call me. We still keep in touch even throughout the years, though one lives in Colorado, one lives in California, and, and I'm here. A lot of people that I've ministered to, I've never said anything. I sit there at Starbucks or wherever we are, and I just listen. And I say, let me pray for you, and that's it. And a lot of them, after years, will say, man, you did the greatest counseling ever to me. You know? And I never did anything. I just sat and listened, tried to share some things, but most of all, just sat and listened. That's a lot of what people need. We need to be able and willing to come alongside these people and walk with them through that dark tunnel. Well, it seems like bills like H.R. 5 that go against God's moral law are coming at us at an ever faster pace. And when our nation turned away from God, it, 
it lost its moral compass and it's heading in a wrong direction very fast. And the answer is not government. That's not the answer. It begins with God and the very people of God. We must continue to make disciples of Christ and be willing to engage our world and our culture for Christ with truth, with integrity, and with grace. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for a spiritual revival, a reawakening, and a returning to you and to your moral law. We pray that we would not be discouraged, but continue to fulfill the great commission of making disciples and impacting and transforming lives for Christ, and in turn, transforming our culture and nation for Christ. Lord, we pray for those struggling with this issue. If there are any here today listening on the internet or here in this congregation, help us to be gracious, loving, and understanding as we engage this arena for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Evidence and Answers.